Good morning. Well, it is a privilege to be able to stand up here this morning and open God's Word with all of you and just share what God's Word says to us this morning so that we can go out filled with the Spirit, encouraged, and continue to be more like Him. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you this morning in the name of your Son. And Lord, as your word is opened and we seek to behold you more, Father, we ask that you would incline our hearts to you. Not to selfish motive, not to false game, Lord, but to yourself. That you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonder and glory in your word. That as a church, Lord, you would unite our hearts to fear your name. That you would satisfy us, Lord, with your steadfast love and lead us into all truth. Father, I pray now that your spirit would be among us, doing what only your spirit can do. That the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, Lord. And that which is said to be true, Lord, that your spirit would apply it deep within our hearts in a way that abides and transforms. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little over a month ago, uh, Pastor Craig approached me and asked me if I would consider preaching. And I didn't have to consider very long. I was excited. I said, absolutely. And so began the process of trying to discern what God would have me share with you this morning. Uh, And so I began praying and praying. But a few days after Pastor Craig and I spoke, I got a phone call from my spiritual mother. And she told me that she had breast cancer and that she was going to be needing surgery. And so I remember hanging up the phone and my mind felt foggy and there was this this sharp, intense pain in my heart, not knowing what to make of it all. And a bunch of questions swirling around in my head. Because a little over a year ago, I had gone through this already with my other, my biological mother, and she had had breast cancer as well. So worry and anxiety were quickly taking up residence in my heart. And then over the next few weeks, as I talked with family and friends, Um, and they were reaching out, I began to notice that they also were being swallowed up by a bunch of difficult circumstances, whether it would be marital problems or strained relationships, difficulties in the the workplace, unemployment. There were health concerns going on. There were people struggling with just personal sin that felt oppressive. Some people were transitioning into new chapters of life and that unknown was causing anxiousness. Just a bunch of other things. And so one night after my family went to bed, I was up. And I just didn't know what to do, so I opened my Bible up as I sat on the couch. And I turned to that book in the New Testament that my spiritual mom has always been pointing me back to. And I began to read and pray. And the book was Philippians. And I went there because it's a letter where Paul's trying to encourage a body of believers who are feeling anxious and overwhelmed. And as I read it, it was kind of that aha moment where the Lord said, I want you to preach from the book of Philippians. Uh, So if you would, turn with me there in your Bible. Turn to the book of Philippians. And as you're turning there, let me set the stage a little bit so we know what's going on in this letter. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul while he's imprisoned in Rome. And Paul has a really special love for the church in uh, Philippi. And so while he's sitting there under house arrest, 
he begins writing this, this encouraging letter. And from the opening chapter of Philippians, we can see that Paul is especially concerned that these Philippian believers continue to grow in their faith. And the Philippian church is a really healthy church. It's a good church. But they're still facing some challenges. Philippi itself was kind of like a mini Rome. And Roman citizenship was a badge of honor. And so you could imagine as you walk through Philippi, the streets rang with the Roman language. Roman customs and Roman fashion was on display everywhere. Very much to be in Philippi was to be Roman. And religiously, Philippi was kind of like this melting pot. Emperors were venerated to a godlike status. Um, the Thracians that were around there had common religious practices. There were Greek and Roman cults that had made their way into Philippi, and even some of the Egyptian religions had got in there, so you would see Isis and Osiris being worshipped. Philippi was very much the kind of place that would be sporting the coexist bumper sticker and flying the banner of tolerance. But if you're a Christian who lives in Philippi, there's a tension there. Because you know that you can never acknowledge anyone but Jesus as God. And so tensions between the Christian community and the Philippian community there are increasing. And followers of Jesus are actually viewed as being intolerant. And we're never told exactly what was going on, what were the exact struggles they faced. But we do hear in the first chapter of Philippians, in verses 27 and 28, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So there's some kind of tension going on that's causing fear and anxiousness. It was really hard for them to not be consumed by this worry. It's a, it's a real battle. And as I was trying to understand the dynamics working in Philippi, I realized we find ourselves in a very similar place. And so with the stage set this morning, I want to narrow our focus to the final chapter, chapter 4, specifically verses 6 and 7. It reads as such. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, the big idea, the big thing we're going to see is that for the follower of Jesus, prayer is the answer to anxiousness. And so let's look at our first point. The presence of anxiousness. Verse 6, the first part. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul acknowledges that anxiousness is a very real thing. The anxiousness that Paul's addressing here is that anxiousness that's common to everybody. The anxiousness we feel each and every day as we go through the rhythms of life. And so by Paul writing that, he's saying that followers of Jesus are not immune to anxiousness. But it doesn't need to be this paralyzing thing. Now before we go any further, I think it's important to define terms. So what is it that Scripture means 
when it says anxious? I think the best place to turn to kind of frame a biblical definition is to look at Matthew chapter 6. And so if you would, turn with me to Matthew 6, and let's hear the words of Jesus on this one. Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his, to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I went there because we use the word anxiousness and anxiety in a variety of different ways in our culture. But this morning, I really wanted to just address the anxiousness that this passage is talking about, which is that common anxiousness. And what that passage in Matthew sh shows us is that there's lots of circumstances that are going to come up that can lead us to start worrying, to start being anxious. We begin to question and doubt. You begin looking around and you begin asking yourself, what am I going to do? But then the passage goes on and it makes clear when those circumstances come up and those things begin to happen that we should fix our heart and our minds on God. So I'd say this, brothers and sisters. Anxiousness is when we see our circumstances as bigger and more powerful than God. Anxiousness is what happens when we don't know or we forget who God is. So who is God? God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's always present. He's faithful. He's loving. He's sovereign. And he says that he's working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So whatever comes our way in this life, we can know that it comes from the hand of our loving Father in heaven. It's when we forget that or we stop trusting that, that anxiousness begins to take root. Where weeds of anxiousness start to fill our hearts. And it's just amazing. Paul says anything, which is so quick to gloss over. But it really means that there's nothing that happens in this life that should cause us to remain in a state of anxiousness. 
Anxiousness will pass through town, but it should never take residence. So if you're like me and you're reading this, you've got to ask, like, Paul, what are you talking about? How is that possible? What do you mean not anxious about anything? And so that brings us to the second point, which is the power of prayer. And so look at verse 6 again. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul begins now to unpack how it is that we can have this answer to anxiousness by listing three terms. And the first one is prayer. And it's just a general term for prayer, for for talking to God. That's all it means. Prayer is when we speak to our Father in heaven. And the amazing thing about that is you can do it anywhere at any time. You can do it by yourself. You can do it as a group. You can do it as a church. You can do it out loud. You can do it in your head. You can write out your prayers. Prayer is not confined to some man-made building or temple. The gift of prayer is available to you and to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. There is not one moment in this life that there's a restriction on us being able to pray to our Father in heaven. Now, I think something that's missed when we talk about prayer, though, and that I didn't realize until a couple years ago, is that prayer is actually a gift that's been given to us through the gospel. And so the writer of Hebrews wrote this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And so I read that and I'm like, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus actually provided me this amazing, precious gift that I can pray to God. The veil's been torn. Access to God is completely available now because of what Christ did for us on the cross. But then it gets even more astounding. Because not only have we been given the gift of pray, to pray, but it's actually one of the purposes of our salvation. We've been saved to pray. And so again, the writer of Hebrews a couple chapters earlier says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There's an invitation there. Let us with confidence. I mean, isn't it amazing that God, who created and upholds the Milky Way, not only lets us approach him in prayer, but he desires for us to go to him in prayer. That blows my mind. Go online and just Google galaxies and Milky Way and just see the vastness and immensity of it all. And the God who upholds that says, you, I want you to come talk to me. Pray. It's because of what Christ did and has done that we've been adopted into this family of God. And we can talk to our Father in heaven at any point. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we can just stop there. And that's enough to make us not be anxious if we really see the magnitude of that. 
The all-powerful God of creation gave us his phone number, and he promises to always pick up the phone. God doesn't ignore when his children call. Now, Paul begins to go a little more in-depth on what kind of prayer, and he says, with supplication. Now, that's one of those older Bible words that we don't use often, but it's really precious. Because supplication means to, to bring your needs to God. It's asking God for help. Our God is the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. So we need to cry out to him. We take that posture of humility, we see our need, and we cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. We actually make much of God. We glorify God. When we come to him, we say, Father, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can, Father. So I'm just humbly asking God, do it, please, do something. Then Paul says, when you pray, don't just bring your request, but do it with thanksgiving. Do it with gratitude. And to be honest, that seems a little bit odd to me. Because Paul's saying, okay, when circumstances are crashing upon you, they lead to fear, to worry, to anxiousness, be thankful. What do you mean, Paul? We need to be thankful. The reason that that gratitude, that thankfulness, has to be woven into our life, our prayer life, is because no matter how bad it gets, if we're not being thankful, we're actually lacking to understand who God is, what he's already done for us in Christ, And we're not trusting in what he promises to do for us in the future. So Paul says, in all circumstances, pray with thankfulness. Pray for thankfulness for what he has done for you, but also pray for thankfulness for what he is doing right now in your life. So for the Philippians, Paul's saying, be thankful for these circumstances that could lead to fear. As the fear creeps in, begin looking to God and saying, thank you, God. Thank you for this. Earlier, I mentioned how my spiritual mother got diagnosed with breast cancer and had to have surgery. She actually just had surgery this last Tuesday. And so, I want to share with you how this idea of praying with thanksgiving really took upon a life of its own for me. I'm sitting in pre-op with her uh, and my spiritual father. In the next hour or so, they're supposed to wheel her into surgery. And we're discussing the ladies' Bible study that she teaches and how those ladies are really struggling with her having breast cancer. Really struggling. How is, I just don't understand. They wanted to cancel Bible study because they were just so mentally overwhelmed by it all. And so then I'm talking to mom about this. And in very mom fashion, she says, I just don't get it. I don't get why they're freaking out. Nobody should be frantic about this. Nobody should be anxious about this, Alex. God chose in his sovereignty for me to have cancer. It's part of his plan. In his unsearchable wisdom, 
He's doing exactly what he knows will bring him the most glory and me the most good. And then she goes and cites these two passages. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then she goes to James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And I'm just sitting there like, she's telling me this. And I know God's in control of all things. I know that everything that comes to pass comes from his hand in some manner. But when you're sitting in a hospital room looking at somebody you love dearly, about to be wheeled into surgery for a serious condition, and they're smiling, and they're rejoicing, and they're telling you, I'm just so thankful that God's doing this. Well, that's something else. That will really test your theology. I sat there and I was like, seminary did not prepare me for this 66-year-old woman ready to get up and dance because she has cancer. I even looked at her and I said, Mom, you're crazy. How are you this happy? Like, I would have needed some kind of medication to calm me down because I would have been so fearful. But she's chatting it up with the nurses like you would have thought she was waiting for a a table to be available at the restaurant she's just happy she was thanking God because she knew that God had purpose behind this and that purpose was first and foremost for him to be known great and for her to be to know that he's good now some people may be thinking how is this good how is it Good, how is God being lifted up in that situation? Let's just look at a couple, a couple reasons. On Tuesday, when she was in surgery, there was probably about 100 people praying. A hundred of God's people were gathered at different locations, but united in spirit, and praying for God to act. It increased my spiritual mother's desire to be with him in eternity. She really could say while she's sitting in pre-op, to live as Christ, to die as gain. The nurses on the floor kept asking her, like, are you okay? You do realize you're going into surgery? And she would just go straight into the gospel. So every nurse on that floor got the gospel. And at the end of the day, all the parties involved could do only one thing. Trust in God. And so God was made much of and we could be thankful for that. She was. So when we look at these circumstances that come into our life, they can either make us, they can either make us anxious or they can make us thankful but it's our view of God that's going to determine which one we pick. How you know God will determine whether you get anxious or whether you get thankful when circumstances, come, unexpected circumstances especially, come crashing upon your life. And I think that brings us to a really important aspect of prayer, and that's the role of faith in prayer. Because praying alone isn't enough. We have to be praying in faith that God really does hear us and that God really will act according to his will. 
One of my mentors once sent me a letter. Actually, it was just a post-it. He sent me a post-it. I opened up the envelope, and the post-it said this. Prayer is taking your troubles to God. Faith is leaving them there. Prayer is taking your troubles to God. Faith is leaving them there. When we pray, yes, we come and we talk to God and we bring our needs before him and we try to do it thankfully. But we have to make sure that we do it in faith and sincerity of heart without doubting. Let him, who ask in, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven and it's tossed by the wind. Bring your request. Bring them thankfully, but bring them in faith. Paul then says in verse 6, let your request be known to God. <clears throat> if prayer truly is the answer to anxiousness, then we should be going to God first and frequently. We don't need to hold anything back when we pray. God already knows our hearts. Here's the amazing thing about prayer. Anxiousness shows up and it tries to take up residence in the heart of the believer, but prayer gives it an eviction notice. When we pray, God, as the landlord says, "Mm -mm, you don't live here, get out. Which means that our anxieties are actually the fuel for a hot and burning prayer life. So turn your anxieties into your prayers. That's what they're there for. So this brings us to our third point. The promise of peace. Look at verse 7 with me. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Our God is sovereign. He does whatever he pleases. Which means that our God is always at peace. God's never wringing his hands. Like, man, what's going on? He's never pacing the hallways of heaven. He's never biting his nails or restlessly shaking his leg about what's going on here. God's always at perfect peace. And so this perfect peace that God has, that God is, Paul says becomes ours. We get, as followers of Christ, a divine peace. It's a peace that actually flows directly from God's character into the heart of God's children. And notice, it says, the peace of God. And in verse 9, Paul refers to God this way, the God of peace. Which means that God doesn't simply possess peace, but that God is peace. So again, think about this promise that Paul's laying out here. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we come before God in faith and pray... The peace that God has as he's seated on his throne becomes ours. And I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I think the lack of peace, even when I do pray, becomes from a lack of faith at times. I forget that God is a God of peace. 
that whatever happens in this world, God isn't stressing about it. I forget that. I begin to make God in my own image when it comes to, to worries and anxieties. But God is a God of peace, and when I faithfully know that and faithfully pray according to that, I get to share in that peace. I'm no longer defined by circumstances. And so I would define the peace here like this. Peace is that calm assurance that what God is doing is best, and as a result, we rest in his sovereign goodness. A calm assurance that what God is doing is best, and as a result, we rest in his sovereign goodness. Now, Paul says that this peace surpasses all understanding. This peace that God provides is a supernatural, incomprehensible peace. It's a peace that the watching world looks upon, and they're like, are you serious? It's the kind of peace that causes a nurse to look at a 66-year-old woman about to get breast cancer surgery and ask, why are you smiling and wanting to sing songs right now? Because of God of peace. It's a peace that cannot be explained apart from God. I mean, it's a peace that us as believers, we can't fully understand. There's been moments in my life where something is so horribly going down, and I'm like, man, why am I not... Why am I not like having a panic attack right now? I should be. But I'm not. Like, I just feel like I know God's got this. But then there's other times that, for whatever reason, I'm not, I'm not leaning into what I know to be true about God, and I'm getting stressed out because the freight train's making me late for a meeting. I don't understand. God gives us divine peace, and it's there, and it's available, but we need to approach him in prayer faithfully to receive it. I think we can all sit back and think about a moment in our life that you knew that if it wasn't apart from God and the peace he provides through prayer, life would begin to just fall apart. But we went to him in prayer in those moments and a peace came over us that all you could do is put your hand over your mouth and say, only God. Only God. Now this peace that God provides, this incomprehensible peace, is not for everyone though. This promise is for those who've been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're sitting here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus, that peace is currently not available. Because you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. But it doesn't need to stay that way. Because if you recognize that your sin has separated you from God, and that as a result, you incur judgment... And if you confess and you repent of your sin and trust solely upon the substitutionary death of Jesus and his resurrection, then something amazing happens. Something amazing can happen right here, right now. You receive the forgiveness of God, but you also receive the peace of God. 
And I think that's a good word for those who are followers of Jesus to remember. Sometimes we trust our eternal condition to God, but not our circumstantial conditions to God. God didn't just come to save your soul eternally. God came to save you daily from circumstances that would pull you away from him. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans. Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God promises peace to those who prayerfully bring their problems of anxiousness to him. And there isn't anybody in this room today that couldn't have that kind of peace. And this will bring us to our final point. The protection in the Savior. So look at verse 7 one more time. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiousness is an enemy. And it's a brutal enemy. And it's an enemy that will attack daily. So Paul uses this word guard. And it's a military term he uses. It's intentional. It's something that Paul would have been really acquainted with and the Philippian believers would have been acquainted with. Because like we said earlier, Paul was, in, was uh, imprisoned, and so he's chained and being guarded by Roman soldiers. Paul's not just going to get up and walk out. And the Philippians, the colony they lived in, was dominated by military veterans, and it was currently inhabited by a good population of Roman soldiers. So they understood that as well. And so Paul's conveying the truth that it's not Rome who guards you, but it's the peace of our all-powerful, sovereign God who guards you, and he guards you through his Son, our King, Jesus Christ, who is himself our peace. It's not Rome that guards. For us, it's not the political authorities that guard. God guards us. That's why we must put our trust ultimately in God. Now, this piece is depicted as a soldier who has a mission, and that mission is to stand guard before our hearts and minds. And like I said, anxiousness is this enemy, and it seeks, it really does, at least in my life, I feel it, just these hostile invasions try to, try to happen daily, sometimes hourly. And anxiousness tries to set these fires of doubt on the fields of my soul so that my heart is just inflamed. And it leaves me seeing things from a hopeless and oftentimes godless perspective. <clears throat> if you can identify with that, I want you to hear this. Anxiousness will have no victory for those who have prayerfully brought all their worries before God in faith. It may be a rough battle. I'm not going to diminish that. It may be a battle that hurts and you leave with some scars. But it's a battle that we come out victorious, victorious because God guarantees the victory. And so Paul says that this peace through Christ guards our hearts and our minds. 
And so heart, right, when we think about that, that's just that place within us that has our emotions, our desires, where they kind of come from. Which means God guards against despondency, anger, fear, frustration, and all those things, taking control. And by minds, he's talking to that part of us that really tries to, to understand and reason through a situation. Praise God that he stands guard there and that he doesn't leave us to our own imaginations and strategies. Praise God that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so when you put heart and mind together, what Paul's really getting at is that the totality of that inner person, the totality of who you are, your emotions, your affections, your reasoning, all that stuff, everything is being guarded by the peace of God in Christ. And that in Christ is so important because Paul begins to root peace in a person. The divine peace that God's promised to provide comes only through Jesus Christ. So when we rest in being united with Christ, then we can know that we are protected in Christ. Without Jesus, there's no peace. There just isn't. That's why these two words are so important. If you would have told me 15 years ago that prepositions would matter so much to me, I would have laughed. And I was a horrible, horrible grammar student. Uh, my spiritual mom was my grammar teacher. She would, she'd be laughing right now. But today I look at things like in. And it's beautiful. <coughs> to be in Christ. <coughs> excuse me. Means that, we, <clears throat> means that we'd be given a new identity. <clears throat> and that identity that we have is Christ himself. For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You ever on a plane and somebody asks, like, what do you do for a living? You have those conversations. It's interesting because we ask, what do you do? We never ask, who are you? We're very caught up in what we do. But I think the more important question is, who are you? For me, I would say, I'm a follower of Christ. That begins to color everything else about me. And so I'm guarded by this peace that's in Christ. I'm no longer characterized by my imperfections because I'm hidden in him. When God the Father looks down upon me, he no longer sees me as this rebellious, imperfect, stubborn individual, but he sees me through the perfect righteousness of his Son. And so in Christ, my relationship with him is restored. And it's because of that the Father can both secure and ensure my peace. That peace that surpasses understanding. Now, the world we live in really tries to offer all these different approaches to peace. And some of them may be good for the moment, 
But there's nothing that this world can offer in way of peace that's going to last and transcend any and all circumstances. That peace only comes through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself tells us in the Gospel of John, and we read earlier, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Every circumstance that you face that could put you in the tailspin of anxiousness, Christ says, I've overcome that, and you're in me. So no matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're in the midst of, run to God in faith-filled prayer. Pour out your heart to him. Be thankful for what you're experiencing because you know it comes from his hand. And he's more committed than we could ever imagine to shaping us to resemble his son so we can enjoy more of him. And then rest in that. Rest in the peace that that's going to provide in Jesus. But I would add, don't forget to smile through it all. Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so I want to close now um, by saying that I've so loved being a part and becoming a part of the North Suburban family. And one of the things I've come to appreciate and notice is that North Suburban is truly a praying church. This church prays. And so when people have asked me, what's the culture of North Suburban like? Prayerful is right at the top of that list. And so by way of some practical application, because I think sometimes we listen to sermons and we get these applications and we walk out and we forget to just put them into practice, at least I do. By way of practical application, before we leave this sanctuary today, we're going to take some time to pray. Right here. You can pray by yourself. You can gather with some people right next to you and pray. But we're going to take some time to pray. And you can pray about personal issues, whether that's health, employment, finances, things going on in life that are causing uneasiness. You can pray about relationships um, that are causing you a lack of peace. Maybe that's, you know, I'm, I'm working with the junior high and high school. Maybe that's, hey, I've got to go to college, and that's really stressing me out. What college do I go to? What am I going to do? Pray for peace there. Maybe for marriages that are struggling, pray for peace. Maybe your schedule is just crazy. Kids are running all over the place. It feels like family's drifting apart. What am I going to do? Pray there. Pray for your elders and your leadership at the church. Pray for those who don't have the peace of God. Pray for them. Maybe pray for opportunities to speak into all the worry and anxiousness that exists right outside this building. I think you turn the TV on for 60 seconds and you see that the world is living in a state of anxiousness. Maybe pray for opportunities to talk into that. So with that, I think we're going to spend some time in prayer. Um, and then Robbie will lead us in song.